Good morning, everybody. My name is Jacob. Uh, I'm the preaching minister here. And uh, good morning to all of you and to all of you at home. Uh, if you're seeing this at home, I want to say we were having some trouble with our live stream. And in each week, it's a different kind of trouble. And this week, we've had to restart a couple times. So if you're seeing me, that's really good. And hopefully, <laughs> this will get you toward the end and you'll be able to, to pray with us and uh, continue in our worship service. You might not be able to see the videos. There's a couple videos in the, uh, in the message that you guys here in person, you'll get to see. Go, yay, we get to see it. Yay. Yeah, and you at home, uh, you might not see it. You maybe can hear it, and I'll, maybe I'll act it out for you later or something. But I apologize. But I'm so glad that you're joining in with us. We want to share our prayer requests together. If you have any prayer requests, as Brittany and Lisa said earlier, please uh, go to trivalleychurch.org and click on the prayer request button. Uh, Phil's going to lead us in prayer at the end of our time together. But for the next few minutes, I want to begin uh, a new sermon series this morning, and it's called Christian Character. And uh, in order to start this off, I was thinking about the scripture that Phil read for us. The apostles, after they had been through so much with Jesus, they had witnessed his death, and then they had heard the news of his resurrection they encountered the risen Jesus. He ate with them. He walked with them. He taught them. And then he ascended into heaven. And it's basically like he disappeared before their eyes. And I got to imagine them just standing there going, uh, what do we do now? It's been a crazy ride. What do we do? <laughs> and it reminded me of a movie that I saw a few years ago. How many of you have watched the, the Marvel Universe movies, the Avengers and Iron Man and all those movies? Uh, action-packed, uh, comic book-based movies. Well, there was one in 2012 called The Avengers, and this was like culmination of all these stories coming together. And there's an alien invasion in New York City, and Captain America, Iron Man, Black Widow, Thor, Bruce Banner, who is also known as the Hulk, the Hulk uh, and Hawkeye, they have to fight these aliens in New York City, and it's this epic battle. And at some point during the battle, Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, makes kind of a funny comment, and he says, hey, you know, after this is all over, we should go get some shawarma. And he's like, I'm not even sure what shawarma is, but there's a good shawarma joint down the street, and we'll go grab a bite together. And uh, I want to show you a clip, because if you make it all the way through the epic battle in the movie, and you watch the movie all the way past the ending credits, you get this scene uh, of them actually taking him up on that suggestion and eating some shawarma together. So go ahead and play that video, Hannah, for us. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what superheroes do after a long and arduous battle. And you can maybe understand why they're not saying anything to each other. Like, what's left to be said after you've just saved the city from a, a crazy alien invasion? Uh, they're probably hungry after the battle. But in this scene, they're just kind of sitting around, not really talking to each other, not really up for doing anything. They are spent. I thought of this scene when I think about the disciples after Jesus' resurrection, because there's got to be a similarity there. 
there's got to be this sense of, man, we've been through so much already. What are we supposed to do now? And we kind of ask that same question ourselves as Christians. And it's not that we don't have answers to those questions. Some might come to mind. You know, in the passage we read, these two men in white say, okay, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. God's going to do something amazing. And Jesus himself gave his disciples instructions too. Like, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to go and baptize disciples. I want you to love one another. I want you to serve one another and carrying on the things that I did in my ministry. And we see the Christians do this. And we as Christians, we do this as well. But what we also see in the New Testament is that there's a lot of confusion about how you're supposed to do that. What exactly does that look like? And we today can ask ourselves that same question. We have believed in Jesus. We have set our trajectory in a way of following Jesus. But if you ask individual Christians, what are we supposed to do now? You might get a lot of different answers. We have some answers, but I'd like us to try to answer these questions a little bit better. And that's what this series is going to be about. It's important for us to answer this question because we find ourselves in a similar position. And we can end up at the shawarma table going, "Uh, what do we do now? I don't quite know. So we just sit and we wait. And I'm not very satisfied with that answer. So that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. During Jesus' life and ministry, there was a man who came up to him. And he said, "Uh, what am I supposed to do with my life? He was asking Jesus these same questions that we might ask ourselves. Raise your hand if you remember the story of the rich man who came up to Jesus and said, hey, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Yeah, he's basically asking him, what am I supposed to do now? What should I do that's going to please God? What am I supposed to do that's going to give me purpose and make me happy? How can I live a life now that will matter not just now, but also in the age to come? And if you're not familiar with this story, I want you to hear this story. And I was going to read it for you. This is from, you know, Matthew chapter 19, or it's in Mark as well. But I thought it would be good for us to hear this story told by a bunch of adorable little kids from Australia. So that's what our next video is. You can go ahead and play that, and then we'll talk about this encounter Jesus has. A long time ago, there lived a young man, a man who had everything, a rich man, and everything he wanted, he got. Nothing was impossible for him. If he wanted a nice meal, he got it. Nothing was impossible for him. If he wanted nice clothes, he got them. Nothing was impossible for him. If he wanted a rest, he got it. Nothing was impossible for him. Everything he wanted, he got. Money gave him everything. He was very, very rich. And a nice guy as well. He loved and respected his mum and dad. He loved and took care of his wife. He was a really, really nice guy. But there was one thing he didn't have. One thing he wanted. The rich young man wanted heaven. He wanted to live forever with God. So he went to see Jesus. The rich young man asked Jesus, Good teacher, 
What must I do to go to heaven? Jesus looked at him and said, You called me good. Only God is good. Remember God's commandments. Love your wife. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not lie. Honour your father and mother. The rich man smiled. Yes, I have kept them all. Then Jesus said, There's one thing left to do. Sell everything you earn and give it all away. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The rich man was shocked. Sell everything? Give away all his money? It was too hard. It was impossible. The rich man turned and walked away. He walked away from Jesus. It was impossible. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, How hard it is for rich people to enter heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. The disciples looked at each other and said, So who can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible for man is possible with God. So, this, he asked Jesus, What sort of person must I be now in order to be part of God's new age? And in the video, they said, Heaven. I love how they said that. He wanted heaven. Remember, in the first century, Jews and Christians, when they talked about what happens after you die, they have kind of a different idea than what the popular concept of heaven is today. And we're going to talk about this more next week, but I just want you to keep that in mind. He's asking about what, how can I participate in the new age that God is restoring here on earth. He wasn't like, how, how do I get to the clouds? And again, we'll talk about this way more next week, uh, but just for now pointing out the man comes to Jesus and wants to know, what should I do and how can I do it? And did you notice Jesus' answer to both of those questions was the same thing? You should follow me. What should I do? Follow me. How should I do it? Follow me. Become like me and learn from me. And in this response, Jesus touches on a very important key to answering the question that we all have, what are we supposed to do now? And that key is, Transformation. Everybody turn to somebody next to you and say, transformation. Okay. He tells this man that he needs to change his life so that it better reflects the glory of God. He tells him he needs to let go of the wealth that his identity was so wrapped up in. He says, you need to become generous. You need to become compassionate and give to people who have nothing. And in saying, follow me, he's saying, you need to keep watching me and keep becoming more like me. And the New Testament writers, they picked up on this key concept of transformation. And you might think of some, some passages from Scripture that have to do with transformation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, you get, uh, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. I think about a, a, you know, the caterpillar going into a chrysalis and then becoming something totally different. The old is gone. That's not even a thing anymore. It's something that's totally new. The old is gone. The new is here. Or in Romans 12, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation is important. It's something that we've actually been trying to emphasize here at Tri-Valley for the last 
several years, especially in our, our Bible classes, in our teachings, in our small groups, and in the sermons that I preach. Because I love the Bible, and I love to study the Bible. But it's not just about studying something and, and learning something new. Following Jesus is not just about cramming as many Bible verses and details about scriptures into your head as you can. It's about becoming more like Jesus in your interactions with the people you live with, with the people you work with, with the people that you go to school with, the people that you can't stand. Can I say it like that? That just the, the people that are hard to get along with. It's about transformation and becoming more like Jesus. And the way you become transformed uh, along with the help of the Holy Spirit is by practicing it. You do it by doing it. This is what Jesus prescribed for this rich man who came to him. Did you notice that? He says, you practice it by keeping the commandments. You actually don't steal. You actually don't lie. You actually are a good neighbor and a good spouse. Uh, you honor your parents. You actually love the people that live around you. You practice it by being generous. You give to the poor. You smash that idol of greed that's in your life. And you practice it, he tells him, by changing the priorities in your life so that they better match the priorities of God. And so now I think we're in a better position to answer that question, what are we supposed to do now? That question that we started with. I think you could answer it by saying, what we are to develop in between the time we say yes to Jesus and the time we die is Christian character. That's what I want to talk about for the month of May. And I got to start with a little bit of a disclaimer and a little bit of a warning because some people will hear this and they'll think, Jacob, this sounds a lot like works righteousness. This sounds a lot like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and like earn your way into heaven. That is not what we're talking about. I mean, we, we know that we are saved by grace through faith. We all know that we can't earn our salvation. It's something that's given to us by God through Jesus Christ. Amen? You guys, you guys okay with that? We're not going to try to earn our salvation here. But when you ask Christians, what are we supposed to do with our lives, you kind of get these two answers that kind of fall on opposite extremes. And they miss the mark. There's truth to both of them, but they miss the mark a little bit. Let me talk about these for just a second. The first one is the rule-keeping approach. And the attitude is, hey, I'm saved by Jesus. I can't earn that. But you know what I'm going to do in the meantime is just kind of keep my nose clean. I'm, I, I've, I've got my ticket into heaven. I'm going to heaven, as those, uh, those kiddos would tell us. And I just don't want to blow it. So don't mess up and keep your nose clean. Get your act together. Be nice. Or if some people will say, you can't earn your salvation, but you can obey the rules as a show of gratitude toward God. Some of you are hearing this and going like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. That's... I might have even have taught that in the past. But the danger of this perspective and this focus is that it does tend to lean more towards a works righteousness. It puts a lot on me. It puts a lot of emphasis on what we do. Okay, so what's the opposite? What's the other response that people give? It goes in this direction. Okay, we can't earn it. We, it kind of doesn't matter what we do. So there's people over here who say, you just kind of be true to yourself. You make it up as you go along. You follow the flow of the Spirit. And they'll say, remember, Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing we do or fail to do. So it's all fine. We are set. So just live freely and do your best. Make it up. Uh, 
And this view is, you might hear this and go, yeah, that sounds good to me too. But this misses a lot of biblical wisdom that points to Christian character and necessary virtues that we read a lot about, like faith and hope and love and the fruit of the Spirit. These seems like things that we should be cultivating and not just expecting to happen naturally. So if over here, the rule-keeping approach puts too fine a point on what we're supposed to be doing in the Christian life, then the just the free-spirited make-it-up-as-you-go-along doesn't put a fine enough point on it. And both of these views, you may have noticed, are sort of a passive approach. They're kind of like a uh, wait-for-heaven attitude. We, I mean, what are we supposed to do? How can we know for sure? So you know what? Let's just go down the street, get a bite of shawarma, sit at the table, and wait. And I don't like those answers. I don't think those are good or faithful responses. So what we're going to be focusing on is Christian character. And what I like about this approach is it takes into account the biblical call to work with the Holy Spirit to develop Christian virtues and reflect God's glory into the world that is not just going to bless us now, but it's also going to prepare us for a role that God has for us in his restored kingdom. That's right. There's stuff that you are going to be preparing for now that you will be doing in heaven. And again, I'd, oh, I'd love to dig into this now, but we're going to talk about this more <laughs> next week. So if you're like, I don't know, you've lost me, definitely come and tune in next week for when we talk more about this. But for now, let's just say developing Christian character matters. And that's a, a good goal. But let's, let's talk about how you develop it. This is going to be a five-week series on Christian character. So by the end of the fifth week, you will have mastered it. I'm just, I'm just kidding. That cannot possibly be true. Christian character is a lifelong pursuit. It takes way longer than five weeks to even understand, and let alone master. It's not something that just happens overnight. And it's not something that just happens on its own. It takes intentionality. It takes effort. Like Jesus told the rich man, you may need to make some changes, and you may need to put in the work in order to see that kind of growth. And one thing I love about the Tri-Valley Church is that we have people here who have been following Jesus for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, and beyond. And I think if you went and asked some of these senior saints in our congregation, they would tell you that. I have not arrived there. I am still working on this. I am still developing it. God's Spirit is working through me, but I am partnering with Him to pull this off. And when I think about this, I realize, man, that's not something you can market. That's not something you can sell. That's not a very attractive offer. It's like, you want to come and follow Jesus? It's a long road. It's a hard road. It takes a lot of intentionality and work. And you might hear that and go, I don't, I don't know. Isn't there a, a shortcut? There's something else that I can do? Not really. You can't market that. You can't sell that the way they sell weight loss shortcuts or the way that commercials on television tell you all you need to do to achieve that goal, that happiness in life, is buy this one thing. We want to believe that, and that's such an easy road, but we know that it's not true. The road to Christian character is long, and it's slow, and let's be real honest, it can be really, really boring. And now, who, who's excited to sign up for that? This, <laughs> people at home, you can't see, but everybody just got up and left in the room 
it's not it's it's not real sexy. It's not real it doesn't grab you in that same way. But it's true and it's important. Uh, one of the authors and preachers, ministers that I like is a guy named Richard Beck. And he, he teaches at Abilene Christian University, and he tells his college students, he says, I'm going to be real honest with you. Christianity is not always the camp high that you experience sometimes. It is a long road. He, and he puts it like this. So I want to read this extended quote. Uh, just bear with me as I read through this, because I think he's on to something. He says, what no one ever shares with you when you're young is that Christianity is boring. No one tells you that. No one tells you that Christianity is a 70 to 80 year grind in becoming more kind, more gentle, more giving, more joyful, more patient, and more loving. You learn that God isn't in the rocking praise band or the amped up worship experience. What you learn after college is that holy ground is standing patiently in a line. You learn that holy ground is learning to listen well to your child, your wife, your coworker. Holy ground is being a reliable and unselfish friend or family member and being a good nurse when someone is sick. Holy ground is awkward and unlikely friendships. Holy ground is often just showing up. And he goes on to say, being more and more like Jesus is a million boring little things. No one ever tells you that when you're young. Just like no one ever tells you how risky and revolutionary it all is. That a truly radical life of following Jesus is made up of a million boring little things. It's not glamorous. But if you ask some of these senior saints that I mentioned, they'll tell you it's worth it. It is worthwhile. And it really pays off. On January 15th of 2009... One airline pilot's years of experience making a million boring little decisions really paid off in a big way. This is what happened. Shortly after takeoff, flight 1549 out of LaGuardia Airport hit a flock of Canada geese. These are big, big animals, right? They're like 8 to 10 pounds each. And the pilot described it, that his windshield was completely covered, like he could not see anything except geese. And Canada geese went into the two planes' engines, and they were immediately worthless. So the plane didn't have any more thrust. This was, this was takeoff. They were only about 3,000 feet in the air, and they start to go down. They start descending back toward the earth at 140 miles an hour. And it became clear this plane needed an emergency landing now. And Captain Sullenberger realized that he couldn't make it back to LaGuardia. There's no time. He thought about Teterboro Airport in New Jersey across the river, and he thought, no, no I can't make it to there either. The, the tower, if you listen to the radio uh, transmission record, they're trying to say, like, get there, we, whatever you need to do. And he's like, I can't make it to any runway. You know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to land this thing in the Hudson River. And that's what he does. He's got about three minutes to make 100 adjustments to the controls and the, cha- the plane's speed and pitch. And he's working in sync with the plane's co-pilot, who's also an experienced pilot. And the plane crashed into the 38-degree water of the Hudson River at just the right angle, best you could possibly imagine under those circumstances, and all 155 passengers survived. And you think about this, this is amazing. The captain had never trained for this. Like, he he was explaining in an interview, they don't train pilots how to land a jet airliner on water. Like, you can't risk the lives of the people training, you can't risk the aircraft, so like, you just have to when you're in that situation, this is the first time. 
He had never done it before, but what he had was a lot of experience. He had five years as a fighter pilot. He had 30 years as a commercial airline pilot. It also happened that he was a gliding instructor. That came in really handy when your engines fail and you just have to coast your way back to the ground. And he also had a master's degree in pilot training. So he, and he'd flown out of LaGuardia Airport countless number of times. So he knew which way the river was flowing. He knew where all the landmarks were. He had been through so much experience in his career. A million boring little instrument checks. Thousands of boring hours spent taxiing on the runway. So many hours in the cockpit and in the air prepared him for this day. And I tell you this story because that's how Christian character is developed. Slowly, gradually, with practice, over time. You don't just wake up one day and go, you know what, I suddenly know how to land an Airbus A320 on the Hudson River. And you don't just wake up one day and go, you know what, I suddenly know how to be patient. I suddenly, inexplicably know generosity. It just makes sense because I turned 40 or 80 or however old you happen to be. <laughs> These are virtues that we develop in the course of following Jesus day after day and year after year. And again, the virtues that we develop now will bless your life. It will bless the life of the people around you. But think beyond that. It is preparing you for a specific work that God has in mind for you. And like I've been saying, we'll talk about that more next week. <laughs> for now, I want to say this is a, a series about Christian character. It's, why, it's about why it's important to cultivate virtues every day with each experience that we have. And we're going to talk about some of the specific Christian virtues that we read about in the New Testament. And we're going to challenge ourselves to use the experiences that we face, whether they're boring or whether they're challenging or whether they're exciting or just whatever they are. We're going to talk about how those help develop Christian virtues. And we're also going to talk about how what you think happens after you die impacts how you live your life for Christ now. And I think this is going to be a really interesting and exciting part of this series. And we're going to let the Bible enrich our understanding of what we're supposed to be doing here so that all of us will be able to faithfully answer the question, what are we supposed to do now that we believed in Jesus? My hope for this series is that it's going to remind us of who we're called to be in Christ, and it's going to inspire us to face the challenges that we might otherwise avoid or shrink away from, and to get us excited for all of the good things that God has in store for us. So I hope you're excited the way that I'm excited about this series. At the end of the story of Jesus and the rich young man, Jesus invited the man to follow him, and we saw how the story ends. The man won't. He can't. He walks away sad. He wasn't interested in a new lifestyle, or he wasn't interested in changing his priorities. And in the same way, our journey to developing Christian character there might be some temptations for us to not go any farther with Jesus. If we discover that developing generosity means spending less money on yourself, then you might realize that uh, generosity is not that important to me. If developing patience means spending more time with the people that drive you crazy, you might go, ah, patience is one of just those things I can skip, I think. 
And when developing humility and obedience to God clashes with our American values of our personal freedoms or about being number one and my right to let everybody know that I am, then, like the rich young man, you might be tempted to turn and walk away from the Christian virtues. And you might instead settle for the low-hanging fruit of just being a nice person or trying to get along with people. There's nothing wrong with getting along with people, but what we find is that the way of Jesus is so much more specific than that. And you can't cut corners, and you can't fake it. The Christian life is not for dabbling. It's a lifelong commitment. But like I said before, it's worth it. And I realize as I'm, I'm talking about this series, I'm assuming that there's a level of faith in Jesus. But I realize that people who might hear this message may have never committed themselves to following Jesus. They may have been trying it out, trying it on. They may just be new in coming to know who Jesus is and what he wants for our lives. And so I want to take this opportunity and extend the invitation and say, we're going to do this journey together. We're going to link arms and say, let's, let's go. Let's do what Christ calls us to do. Let's develop these Christian virtues. And if you've never said yes to following Jesus, I want to invite you to do that. You can be baptized. You can say yes to Jesus. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. And this is such an important component and tool that will help you in that effort. So that invitation is always there, but I wanted to mention that this morning. Uh, come and talk to me if that's where you're at. If you want to know more about Jesus, if you're in a place where you're like, I want to say yes to following Jesus. I want to take that long road. It's not always exciting, but it's definitely worthwhile. And a lot of you are baptized Christians, and you've been following Jesus for a long time. But I'm glad that you're joining us in this journey as well. I want to mention that each week I put discipleship questions on our church's website. And these are designed, they take the, the sermon and the, the text that we've studied together into consideration, and then they just put some questions before you. Like, what are you going to do about this? You've heard this message. How is this going to impact your day? How is this going to impact your relationships? So I encourage you to check out those questions each week. They're at trivalleychurch.org. There's a button that says discipleship questions. You can reflect on those on your own. You can uh, share them with, by text with somebody else from the church or around your your dinner table, or whenever you're with people, just, just bring them up and say, hey, how would you respond to this question? Let these questions challenge you in this process. And right now, I want to transition us into a time of communion. So uh, hopefully, if you, uh, on your way in, you got one of those cups, it's got a little bit of grape juice in it and a little communion wafer. If you did not get one, they're still in the lobby. You can go and you can grab one of those. But what I'd like us to do as we consider Christian character and the things that Jesus calls us to do and his message to this rich young man that I just need you to be like me. I want you to transform your priorities and I want you to become more like me. I want you to think about how you would answer this question. What is one way that you would like to be more like Jesus for us? Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life and his teachings, and his love, and his mission, and his, his obedience to you. And there are so many ways, as we see story after story of Jesus, ways that we want to be like him. We want the world to shine with his character. And I pray that that's what you will develop in us, as individuals, and as the body here at Tri-Valley. Um, we sing, we are the body of Christ. 
And as we remember the actual body of Jesus that was hung on the cross, that was broken, but then was raised by the power of your spirit, we, we say, man, it's good that he became king. And man, we are glad that we get to serve in his kingdom. And as we remember Jesus this morning, as we eat this bread, and as we drink the cup, let us strive to be more like him. Let us make a renewed commitment today to say yes to Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you give us courage to do that. Uh, when we set out to do things and when we make goals, we know that the enemy puts a target on our back. And we know that it can be easy to start, uh, but hard to continue in and hard to complete sometimes. So give us faithfulness. Give us steadfastness. We love you, Lord. We love Jesus. And we're so thankful for his sacrifice, for his new life that he was the first fruits of and that he modeled and promised for us. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.